Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE master technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. GreatNorthernElectric.com Serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. What's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. I'm here with my special political correspondent and good friend, Joel Underwood. What's cracking, Joel? How you doing, man? Good to be back. Real well. You hear that in the microphone okay? Yeah. We sounding all right? We're coming through? I think we're all right. Yeah. All right. I'm liking the new uh, Bard's... What do you call that? Uh, tie-dye. Yeah, it's a new t-shirt. We're probably not going to go with the tie-dye because it doesn't make the design pop, but these are the prototypes we got, and yeah, no, really cool. Nice. Renee Hardy design, and uh, and yeah, we're going to start uh, doing some mass production on these down in Shelton. Now, I'm looking at a dragon in sunglasses playing what used to be the... Playing a little stand-up guitar there, maybe a little little bit of dice, so yeah. What they used to play with the stick and the string and the wash tub? Oh yeah, big old wash tub. Yeah, back in the back in the Appalachians, that's how you get your sort of stand up bass sound. Little wash tub. Scatman, yeah. Scatman yeah. Crothers. That's who I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day. yeah you... Bull legged and a friend of uh, Red Fox. Or you can go Zydeco with it. Yeah, very cool. Nice. Hey, well, it's 2020. Um, I'd like to get brought up to speed in what's going on in the political world. So I appreciate. Yeah, what do you want to talk about? This new peach farm that Donald Trump. Just Scott, you know, he's, is he trying to be Jimmy Carter and go to Georgia instead of being a peanut farmer? He wants to be a peach farmer. Tell me what it, what this so, peach farm is all about. So, what Trump's problem is now? What what he's got to do, right? So this this is difficult. He basically has to come back to all these people that he has been, for all intents and purposes, saying. And I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but look, I don't like you. You don't like me, but you got to vote for me because the economy's good, right? He's given tax cuts to the upper class. He he keeps doing this what um, Paul Krugman calls zombie economics. These ideas that won't die, which is if we if we give tax cuts to the wealthy, it'll all filter down to everybody else. He has to come back to all these voters in 2016 who he promised he was going to disrupt the system because he was one of them and he talked like them and he heard them, and for the last. 
you know, he, he hasn't done that. He hasn't. The, the, the jobs have still gone away. The factories have still closed. So now he is in the strange position of being the most powerful man on the planet, being a multimillionaire who now has to approach the agriculture community, the factory and manufacture community, the, the people that he said he was going to deliver for and hasn't and say, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I, I, feel, I feel that same pain. I feel the pain of the family farmer when the farm closes. I, I can be just as agrarian as anybody else. It's, it's a little bit Elizabeth Warren, I'm going to come get a house in Iowa. Remember when she was saying that? He, he's, got a, he's got a tough road to hoe. He's but got it, a tough But road. it seems like he's getting more and more momentum, too. It just, well, nothing seems logical to me. Well, the, I mean, the impeachment... I mean, when you you look at what happened with Bill Clinton's impeachment, I mean, when when the the impeachment succeeded, but the removal from office failed, it emboldens you. It it makes your base more cohesive. It gets people fired up and in a defensive mode. And that was always that was always the danger. That was always what Nancy Pelosi was weighing is is if you to, you know, to to paraphrase the old quote, if you if you strike the king, you better kill the king. Um, because what it does then, I mean, look, not 48 hours after the removal from office failed, what was he doing? Firing people who had testified against him, coming back and doing purges of anybody that he felt had been disloyal during, mm-hmm. during the trial. I mean, but yet if you're loyal, you usually go to jail on the flip side <laughs> or, or p- potentially to get uh, to, to get pardoned, whatever. Look at what he's trying to do with Roger Stone to help to mitigate Roger Stone's sentence. I will be I'll be fascinated to watch, for instance, what happens with Mitt Romney, hmm. you know, Romney coming out and making that classic speech of I can't go against, you know, my God and my conscience. I mean, basically, that's an announcement that I'm running for the Republican nomination in in 2024, but it will be interesting to see what sort of price in the short term he pays for that, what will come across as disloyalty. Yeah. um, Before we get back into what impeachment is, I felt like Tulsi Gabbard, by sustaining from her vote, took a a huge risk, too, in saying that, you know, um, I don't don't really believe in this impeachment process. I don't think it's fair. I'm not going to vote either way. And then after that, she was polling at basically 0%. And it was like mob mentality. you got to stick with us no matter what. You're our ride or die type of person. Well, yeah, but I also, with Tulsi, I go, I can't figure Tulsi out. I mean, Tulsi's, you know, going on Fox News and slamming the Democratic Party. Continue. Look, if you get mad when people call you an Assad apologist, Here's here's a good idea. Stop apologizing for Bashir al-Assad. If if you get mad when when people like Hillary Clinton are referring to you a, a, as a Russian asset, then stop saying and doing exactly what a Russian asset would do. I cannot figure her out. I cannot figure if she feels like she has been denied uh, a better chance to get the party's nomination because she feels like she's a better candidate than some of the people who are the front runners. There's there's some there's some bitterness in her that is lashing out at at the party that supposedly she claims to be a member of. So I her motivations are are very very mysterious to me. Yeah, I, I take it completely different. I think she's uh, bold enough to stand on her own two feet and make her own decisions about things. And she's calling out the hypocrisy of the DNC, which she doesn't want to play by those rules, and those rules need to be fixed. I mean, look at how Cory Booker had to drop out, and then the very next week the DNC changed it so Bloomberg could play along at home. And that change is is one of many changes that she's been trumpeting since she got involved in politics. Well, look, anybody who has a problem— with the Democratic nominating process. I mean, Iowa just substantiated every fear, every problem that anybody had. I mean, Iowa was like watching a slow motion train wreck. Yeah. And and it it proves number several things. Number one, the caucus system has to go. 
and I think we can all agree on this, and we've, you and I have talked at these microphones about this before, the caucus system is awful. I, I hate the caucus system. Nevada's about to do another one. Yeah, tell people exactly what a caucus means. So a caucus is, and by the way, you and I are sitting in a state that used to do a lot more caucusing. In fact, Mm -hmm. the last caucus I participated in was uh, in Washington, the the, um, Democratic caucus, the last time the Democrats did a caucus. Um, Well, I don't like being a registered independent and then I can't vote in the primary for a Democratic nominee when there's not an independent nominee. I have to list myself as a a party that uh, I'm not necessarily affiliate so who gets to show up already is incredible so here's my basic problem with caucuses i hate caucus oh it just makes my skin i fee fi fo caucus i hate me a caucus i hate caucuses okay and part of the the main part of the reason i hate caucuses is not just from personal experience it is less democratic caucuses hurt democracy that's only like one or three, one to three percent even come out to them, right? right? So because it's more difficult. Anything that makes, if we're, if we're going to take the definition of democracy as the most people getting their voice heard, right? right? Anything that keeps that from happening, whether it's voter suppression, voter ID laws, whatever, anything that keeps people, more people from from participating in the system, by definition, hurts democracy. So look at look at a primary. Okay, primary is just like regular voting, just like what New Hampshire did. So you can come all day long. It takes 10 minutes. You walk in. Maybe you have to stand in a little line, depending on the election. You walk in, you either hit a button or better yet, you mail something in. Your voice gets heard. Your your vote counts. A caucus. Okay, there's a specific time and place. You got to be there and you are committing already to an hour to Three, not everybody can do that. And so the deal is, and then of course we we have to get into what happens in the actual caucus. Once you get there, can you convince other people to come over to your candidate? Can you convince it it rewards uh, fanaticism? It does not reward participation. And the point of democracy is supposed to be everybody getting their voice heard as opposed to what candidate is the best at turning their followers into fanatics which is what a caucus does. So you come in and uh, you, you basically, you'll, they'll lock the door. And so you have to be there by a certain time, much, very undemocratic. And then you hear some speeches from the local chair probably and maybe some last candidate representatives to try to convince you. And then I'd love to tell you that it's more complicated than this, but basically what they do is say, one, two, three, go. There's places around the room where they've put up signs, two signs allowed per candidate. There's places around the room where they've put up signs for the different candidates, and you literally go and stand by your candidate. And then they take the first count. And this is where I think it gets really bad. And in my experience, this is where it gets it's, it gets really painful, is, okay, there's a viability threshold. For instance, in Iowa, it was 15%. So if you've got 100 people in the room, you got to have at least 15 people there for your candidate, or your candidate doesn't count. Basically, your candidate gets knocked off the board. Now, if your candidate does count and you've got over 15, you can leave. You can be done. You can fill out a little little paper card. They gave you a little paper card you could fill out in Iowa. And you could leave if you wanted to. But what you can also do is you can look around the room and they announce which candidates are now viable and which candidates are not. And the candidates that are try to convince the people who didn't get that 15% to come over for the second count and stand with them. So let's say Andrew Yang's people didn't make the 15. Now they're going to be heavily courted by the other candidates. The guy will stand up and say, okay, guys, we're going to do another vote in 20 minutes. Now, this is where different caucuses can work different ways. You can have people get up and make speeches to try to convince people, or as the Washington party did you can kind of turn the viability candidate people loose on the non-viability and people can just mix and mingle and this is where especially in those small rural places like iowa those little towns and things it can get really mean and personal hey dave how you doing good to see you hey hey sorry about andrew yang man he had some great ideas that's cool you think about uh coming over to mayor pete with us oh well actually i was thinking about elizabeth warren elizabeth warren 
Come on, man. I put up that fence for you. Hey, you remember that time in the in the you know when you got your truck in the snow there and I I you know jimmied you out with the Jeep and the winch and everything? Come on, man. I thought we were friends. I've watched stuff like that happen. I have vivid memories of being in a West Seattle elementary school cafeteria um, in the caucus between Barack Obama and Hillary Hillary Clinton and having a woman standing in front of a group of us holding up a photo of her child that was going through chemo with the tubes coming out of her nose and like messy snot crying that if we didn't come over and stand with the Hillary Clinton people, her child was going to die. I mean, that that kind of thing is what, again, that fanaticism is what the caucus system promotes and rewards. And so so you've got just that in how the system works. Then we got to talk about, as, as you and I have talked about at these mics before, the fact that, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire coming first, that the first electorate that gets to speak and not candidates out is incredibly old and incredibly white before any voters of color, before in general younger voters get to be heard from. I mean, the, the Democratic Party has to go to some sort of rotating system where where each time through maybe we started a different, I don't know, a different part of the alphabet, a different part of the country. There are multiple ways you could do it. But we, you know, supposedly the Democratic Party is is billing itself as the party of inclusion. And yet we've already knocked out so many candidates of, of color and so many candidates of diversity in these old white small states before any of the the true diversity of the party gets to be heard from well why do they go with caucuses in the first place and why is iowa the first state that gets to uh have such an early primary in this so caucuses the the idea of caucuses it's an older form uh, and and the idea if, if somebody were sitting here on, on the other side here who was a fan of caucuses, what they would be telling you is that having a caucus makes sure that you don't have, quote unquote, wasted votes, that, that anybody who comes out of a caucus, the people who come out of the caucus with the delegates are the people who are the most, again, that word, viable candidates who have the best chance of winning, and they therefore can get to marshal the most support. And and that's true. I mean, a few candidates come out of a caucus state with all the delegates. Tom Steyer doesn't get one. Andrew Yang doesn't get one. Tulsi Gabbard didn't get one. So, yes, it, it does make sure of that. But like a lot of other antiquated systems, you got it's not it's it ties into the question you're asking about Iowa if you're going to bill yourself as the progressive party the party of change the party of hope you can't have things in your selection process that you're doing and really the only justification you've got for them is because we've always done it that way Iowa is number 1 because Iowa wants to be number 1 they've put themselves and and Iowa has just sort of Iowa and New Hampshire have these coveted spots that uh, uh, they they are supposedly the the king choosers, that in, and they have been very very uh, uh, protective of that. In fact, when Florida tried to jump ahead and tried to schedule its primary earlier, a few cycles back, they punished them. The Democratic Party punished them by taking away delegates. Okay, so so the the party has has played into this, but now I think what Iowa really proves and what the fact. What this election cycle has done to us in, in the fact that we started out with the most diverse field of presidential candidates we've ever had. And yet somehow now here getting not, we're not at the end, but at the at the point where the rubber meets the road. What are we back to? Yeah. All, cream, all white people. Yeah. The cream has risen to you the know, top. That's the, the fact that that was was allowed to happen. It has to say. We've we've got to find a way to go back to this process, relook at it, reexamine it, and say, okay, we have to change the order of the states on a regular basis. We have to have some sort of rotational system. We have to look at figuring out who gets into the debates and how. We have to 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 reexamine this whole thing because where we started versus where we got, we should be ashamed of. If we're going to call ourselves the Progressive Party, if we're going to call ourselves the party of diversity, and this is very important, if we're going to go to African-Americans 
and Latino voters and say, hey, we're your party. They have every right to then look back and go, okay, where are my candidates? Yeah, you don't represent me. You don't look like me. You don't, Where'd you don't my go people to, go? You don't you go know. to the same places I go. Now, the, what, what Tom Perez, if he were sitting here with me, the chair of the DNC would say in his defense, because I always like to, to do, do the counterpoint. Okay. <laughs> what Tom Perez would say was, listen, those people who supported Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and Andrew Yang and Deval Patrick and Wayne Messam and all those people, they had every chance when they were called up and when the pollsters came around to say they support those people. He would tell you, and he has said in interviews, I think the corollary question to that that we have to look at is why aren't black voters supporting black candidates? Why is Joe Biden the number one choice among black voters. He's like, isn't that really the question we have to look at? And that's an interesting side conversation because in even in their home states, Joe Biden was beating Cory Booker and was beating Kamala Harris among African-American likely voters. So that's that's a valid discussion to have, too. But mm-hmm. it doesn't change the fact that we started with an incredibly diverse field. How are all of them gone? Yeah, Every a lot of it has to do with one. money and opportunity. I mean, Yang was probably the one that was most financially sound out of the people of color, but he didn't get opportunities to speak. I mean, the last uh, debate he was in, I think it was New Hampshire, it was two and a half hours. He got a total of seven minutes. And it was painful for me being a Yang supporter of sorts, um, knowing that that's not a good forum for him. You know, just waiting patiently and then getting out a few of the same points over and over when I knew he had written over 150 policies that he wanted to implement. Well, 150. I mean, you look at his website, it's one of the most in-depth beautiful political websites that's going on, and he's got an answer for everything. But he doesn't even get to pontificate on that when he doesn't get but seven minutes to speak, and it's based on somebody else's talk. I mean, there was the one debate where Bloomberg wasn't even in it, and they asked him questions about Bloomberg. And it's like, he doesn't give two shits about Bloomberg right now. He wants to get his ideas out there, and he doesn't have the format to do so. And the debate the debate formats are another thing maybe they need to go back and look at, because so many of the people who got those big chunks of time, it, it becomes a vicious cycle, right? If you're leading... Super vicious. If you're leading... The other candidates come after you, so they say your name a lot. So by the rules of the debate, you get response time. All mm-hmm. that added extra time that Yang didn't get, that Biden got, it's because they're they're coming at Biden. All the extra time that Pete got that Yang didn't get or Tulsi Gabbard didn't get, it's because the other candidates are saying his name. If they're not coming after you, it's because they don't perceive you as a threat. So what happens is if you're behind, other candidates in the debate don't reference you, so you don't get to answer. But so it becomes this, once you're behind, it's very hard to break out of that. And once you're ahead, you automatically, by the rules, are basically going to get extra time because people are saying your name. Joel, I'm going to bounce my head off this table if you keep talking. The thing is, there's got it. There's three or more moderators in each debate. It's their job to level the playing field out. But they can't break the rules. No, but they don't have to ask Elizabeth Warren four questions in a row as opposed to go, Joe, Oh, I remember the one you're talking about. That one was was egregious. Yes. Throw the questions around. Let, you know, and then the placement, you know, the people on the colors are out of the screen even on the ends. They're in caps, bookends. It's just... When I look at the debate and then I think about all the money that goes through it, it my biggest enemy is the DNC in a lot of ways. I, I really despise how this whole process is going down with the lack of equality, um, fair amount of time for each, uh, how the money plays a, a role in it big time, and that you know it costs $7 to get $1 in donations, and it's just backwards. I mean, I think about all the money that all the Democratic candidates um, had to raise for, you know, the eight-some debates so far. And what kind of dent would that put in our uh, trillion-dollar deficit? Oh, good God, yeah. But it might even pay for it. <laughs> here's the thing. If, if you're already suspicious or uh, uh, was it not, not favorably inclined towards the DNC, 
the next few weeks are going to be fascinating because we are going to have to watch what the DNC does with Bernie Sanders as a frontrunner. He's going to go missing. I mean, he is their <laughs> darkest dream. He is their darkest nightmare. It's so a, a obvious. Bernie Sanders frontrunner. And, that they and don't want him as their candidate. They think he will scare away moderate voters. They think he is a ticket to four more years of Trump. But the numbers are telling them that Bernie has the biggest, fattest base that he can hold together. And, and so I guarantee you what's happening right now is Tom Perez and the rest of the DNC are going to the other moderates. They are going to Joe Biden. They are going to Amy Klobuchar. They're going, and they're trying to convince people to drop because what the only chance that the moderate candidates of the Democratic Party have is to cohese now, is mm-hmm. to get together behind a – whoever, and Amy Klobuchar or a Pete Buttigieg now, because if they wait till after Super Tuesday, they're going to keep splitting that moderate vote count and Bernie's just going to keep winning and winning and winning. And so they're, they've, they've got to get together and pick their person now if that's who they want. But what about, you know, setting out these rules and then playing by these rules and let the best man or woman win? You know, if Bernie is the one that is is winning in this process, why are they trying to suppress because Bernie? They, because again, it's it's and it's just like the same on the Republican or the conservative side or through the impeachment process. Once you have signed in your head onto the idea that the greater good is at stake, if the greatest good that is at stake is whatever you have to do to stop four more years of Trump happening. Once you've signed on for that, you can justify a lot of stuff in your head. It's just like the Trump folks. Once you've decided that the greatest good is two more Supreme Court justices so that Roe v. Wade can get overturned and all these hundreds of thousands of babies' lives can be saved. Once you've decided that's the greater good and anything you have to do or not pay attention to or close your eyes and hold your nose to – to make that happen is okay. You've signed on for some pretty scary stuff. You've signed on to be okay with really bending the rules and and changing the rules to 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 be okay with whatever that greater good is going to give you. All right, we segued away from the peach farming. Oh, sorry about that. That's right. I'm heated already, so that's <laughs> I'm cool. No, that's what, that's what that's what that's what your fans want, man. That's why you're you're up at the top of the charts. Thanks, and. Speaking of that, this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, precision tool for your family jewels. Get 20% off when at checkout at Manscaped when you use the code TINY. Hey, I will even throw in free shipping for you. Go to manscaped.com. Impeachment. I don't understand it. Um, it seemed like there was one team and there was another team and there was X amount of numbers, and one team had more numbers than the other, and everybody just, it was just a debacle where everybody on this team goes goes for strawberries, this team goes for peaches, and then the outcome is impeachment, but it seems like a pat on the back. What what is impeachment? It's a big show. I mean, look, impeachment, he, he became a president that is impeached and that's that's not a great thing we don't have many of those clinton got impeached you know johnson all that uh but there was never a threat that he was going to then go to the senate and post impeachment get removed from office the math just wasn't there and and what i hope i hope this did is it woke people up to the fa- to the myth of the moderate republican I mean, look at look at everything that we've health care, everything for the last few years that we've been in the Senate dealing with. And what does it always come down to? Oh, who are those three or four moderate Republicans? Maybe maybe we can get them over to our side. Oh, what will Susan Collins do? Oh, Susan Collins always does the same thing. She votes with the rest of the Republicans. Oh, what will Lamar Alexander do? Oh, what will Lisa Murkowski? They did. They did the same thing they always do. There are no moderate Republicans. They were trying to say, oh, we should get campaigns going in their home state and do advertising to see if we can sway those moderate Republican senators. They voted who they voted. But, but they did what it, Mitch McConnell told them to do, which is what they always do. But what's it mean, though? I mean, is it just – why do we do it? What's, what's the consequence? Why do we do? Because you, have to, because you have to do that if, 
if what you if you believe that the president has Stepped broken the bounds, constitution yeah. okay you have to do that and if it, it's the first step the, the, here's the problem most americans think impeachment means removal from office no it's a two step process there's impeachment uh, by the house and there's removal from office by the senate and you can't do the second one without the first one but but here's the thing you have to if you're the democrats if if your big gigantic argument against trump is that he ignores the Constitution whenever he wants to. The one thing you can't do as the opposition party is ignore the Constitution because it's not politically sound right now. You, you can't say, well, it might help him next November, so we should just not do it. No, that's what he's doing. You can't, you can't accuse him of one thing and then do the, exactly the same thing for the same reasons that, that he did. Nancy Pelosi fully was aware. And I think I think Chuck Schumer and Adam Schiff, they were totally aware that this could strengthen his position come November and galvanize his base. But if you're going to accuse him of not following the rules, the one thing you can't do is not follow the rules because of political expediency. And so, yeah, was it always a foregone conclusion? Probably. Was it a show to try to galvanize each side's base? Yeah. But the Constitution says when the president has done thus and such, you got to try to hold him accountable. What did you think about Pelosi ripping up the speech? Again, theater. Theater. I mean, it, she said she was a speed reader and she had read through it and she was like, this is a load of crap. Yeah, so. she, yeah she said it was a, 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 what is it, a litany of lies, a, a, a group of mistruths. Um, so yeah. It was like she was waiting for him to Well, and he also her. ditches her on the handshake at the beginning of the speech. Yeah. She puts out, he leaves her hanging. You know, the only thing he didn't do is sweep his hand back through his hair, you know. A feather uh, back. I mean, there is, the gloves are off. They're not even, and, and for these next, you know, nine months, they're not. They're not going to Have ever even, been this divisive since the Civil War? Since the, I was, I was about to say we fought a Civil War. Since the Civil War, um... You know, no, because I, I keep coming back to Nixon, right? What happened? Why did Nixon step down? Nixon knew he was going to be impeached and probably removed from office. But the reason Nixon stepped down and got in that helicopter and flew away, a group of Republican, not Democratic, Republican senators came to the White House and said, you need to step down for the good of the country. Mm-hmm. You need to step away because this is going to get divisive and ugly that? and awful. And and that is those guys are gone. Um, I think we lost that when our politics became much more about playing to the edges than playing to the middle. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, there used to be there's so much more in common in the in the middle and we are extreme leftists or extreme right and the extreme rightists are dr- well it's not that we are it's those are the people who have the steering wheel those, yeah, those are the, are the ones we talk about the those most. are the people who are driving it um, you know those are the tea partiers and and the antifas and those are the people who are driving the conversation and if the israeli palestine situation teaches us anything or or the Irish Catholic Protestant situation teaches us anything. It should be that when the extremists grab the wheel, it is damn near impossible to grab it back. Because when when the, the people on the far fringes of whatever idea or issue or ideology we're talking about, when they grab the steering wheel, the one thing you can count on is that there's somebody on the exact opposite side who is as extreme as they are. And and it becomes very hard for voices of reason. There used to be liberal Republicans like John, like the Rockefellers. There used to be conservative Democrats like like mm-hmm. Daley, the mayor of Chicago. It wasn't a function that that you had to play on the team exclusively. But now that's that's kind of that's how it is. And that's why when Mitt Romney comes forward and and votes against the team or John McCain gives that thumbs down with the health care vote, it's gigantic news because that is I, I would argue that's who the majority of people are. But that's not who's got the steering wheel in the car. The fringes have the steering wheel. All right. So Iowa caucus, we had um, Buttigieg get 13 delegates, Bernie Sanders get 12. We believe. 
Well, they say a hundred percent is. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, we're gonna we're now, gonna keep you know, finding out. Let's keep about talking that. about that too, because percentage is twenty six point two versus twenty six point one. It's a virtual tie. Yeah. But Pete gets an extra delegate. Why is that? Uh, again, because it's just the the threshold. And again, you're back to ugh, it makes me crazy. I hate caucuses so much. Those delegates have to go somewhere. Okay, if this were a non-caucus system, those delegates would be distributed down the ticket by percentage because they could go anywhere. But unless you meet the viability threshold of 15%, those delegates have to go somewhere, which is ridiculous. Now, let's be fair. Out of... Iowa and New Hampshire, we have had a pittance, a tiny amount of the delegates awarded. We are nowhere close to, you know, Super Tuesday and things like that where where the ball game is going to be. But was there 40 delegates for this first caucus? Yeah, I mean, and you put it all together and I think we've had what was, what was I reading yesterday? It's like not even not even 4%. I mean, we haven't we're nowhere. But what that does do is is it generates buzz. It can make some people drop out and it can generate some buzz. That's why all the candidates were livid when the Iowa caucus got, got so screwed up. They well, weren't, they weren't so worried about, Oh, where's my delegates? Where's my delegates? They were like, where's my speech? Because if you, when you yeah, they win have to pivot Iowa, from there. you got to, you, you get to make the whole point of winning Iowa is you get to make a speech in prime time. You get to make a victory acceptance speech that makes it by the 11 o'clock news on the East coast. And that didn't happen. Wasn't so Amy if, the first to give a speech? Right. And even regardless. if you, even if you won Iowa, you didn't get the goodies from Iowa. It's like waking up Christmas morning and turning over an empty stocking. Yeah, it's Christmas, but you didn't get the main thing you're supposed Shout to get. Shout out to out my wife and kid last Christmas there. <laughs> so yeah, so then you go into New Hampshire and you don't have any you don't have any juice. You're not rolling. Right. You know? So that's that's tough. And then uh New Hampshire of course uh, the, what the, everybody else is going to try to spin it as is Bernie losing so much momentum because his numbers were so down from the last election cycle when he won it in Bernie's backyard. But that's just a function of there being so many more candidates to choose from as opposed to just him versus Hillary. So five people got delegates. It was Pete in first, Bernie close second, 13 and 12 delegates respectfully. Uh, Elizabeth Warren got eight, Biden got six, and Amy Klobuchar got one. She kind of poked fun at it saying that she punched above her weight, Yeah, got out of town with a smile on her face. Pete came out before the... Voting was tallied and basically said he won and stuck with that move. I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory on Mayor Pete slash President Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, no fact-checking on the bystander. <laughs> but did did he cheat? Did he cheat? No. I, th- I think he – look, you don't – he poured everything into Iowa. Yeah, he like poured, 47 offices. He all. poured everything. Ton and of part of what you're pouring into is you're pouring in polling, entrance polling, asking people as they're walking in, and you have to be a certain amount of feet away from the caucus site. But you can ask people, is there, who are you planning to vote for? Who are you planning to vote for? Or asking them, cause, hey, how'd it go in there? So you, your people have a pretty good idea before the, they're announcing things on TV how you're doing. See, this is where Pete and Amy are going to have a problem. Because Pete and Amy, because they knew they had to hit a home run early, especially Amy in Iowa, they poured everything into Iowa and New Hampshire. They poured mm-hmm. all their money. Okay, great. They did well. Now they got to go to Nevada and South Carolina and North mm-hmm. Carolina and California. And, and they just, they haven't been building the machine there. And then Michael Bloomberg doesn't pours money into everything on YouTube and memes and Super Bowl. I am and so glad does not even participate. Gonna, they are finally going to make him debate. I want I want his feet held to the fire. I want to see who he, because he's been allowed to skate. Yeah, all he's all he's had to do is run commercials, make the occasional speech, and everybody else has to react to him. He hasn't had to answer a single hard question. He yeah. hasn't had to to deal with you know Elizabeth Warren's debate skills. He hasn't had to be confronted by Pete as an active military veteran. He's just gotten a free pass so far. Right. I am so excited to get him on the debate stage and let's see what happens when we ask you about oh I don't know stop and frisk. When we ask you about your quote that sometimes with these young African-American men, you just have to throw them up against a wall and pat them down. Like, 
ask him this stuff because mm-hmm. all he is now is he's a big – I call him the Bloomberg iceberg. He's just a big thing floating out there that everybody has to think about, but you don't know how much is below the surface versus how much is on top. He's just a big herkin pile of money. Let's make him play for real. Yeah, and then the- – Put on some pads and get out there on the field. <laughs> Plus, he's in – complete control of his own narrative mm-hmm. that's the part i don't like that's the it's deal like stand on your own two feet and uh come correct against somebody else like and, we, that's why we make you have debates and, and well i don't we don't make you do debates apparently and then there's people that struggle to get in the debate and can't qualify and want to debate so badly and then he just nah nah not playing that game and then there's people i would love to have seen him go against uh like beto on gun control castro on immigration um talk to cory booker cory booker risk that'd be that'd be fun but see the other thing that should scare bloomberg and i and i think should scare his supporters is look at tom steyer i mean it's hard to you can drop all the money you want into a campaign it doesn't guarantee you anything i mean he now, supposedly, he's going to do better in South Carolina. He's been pumping a lot into that and spent a lot of time there. But he pumped a jillion dollars into Iowa and New Hampshire, and it got him bupkis. It got yeah. him zero. He can't move the needle. Nice so, guys finished last. Sometimes the money doesn't guarantee anything. Sometimes it, it doesn't. It can't. All the money in the world can't make you likable. All the right. money in the and world can't. Especially can. when he made his money on uh, against the environment, and That's now true. he's trumpeting his, yeah. the environment. And now he's he's flipped around. He's he says taking the pledge. He's going to give all his money away before he. Does. But uh, you you can't drop. But to, to give you an idea, to give you an idea of the of of how how the numbers at play here, Pete was supposedly like a super great fundraiser. Forty billionaires in a cave had 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 raised since he announced somewhere somewhere between the math is a little fuzzy between thirty five and thirty eight million dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's his whole fundraising thing. Michael Bloomberg, in certain, it has been spending about three and a half million dollars a week. Mm-hmm. And a I think week. he spent twenty seven on Super Bowl weekend. I mean, he's paying. There are staffers that he is paying literally twice what anybody else is paying. Mm-hmm. I mean there he he just the the mismatch in terms of the dollar value that he can bring to a table. Now again, what did Trump prove in 2016? That the best advertising out there is free. Mm-hmm. Social media, word of mouth, all that, okay. Well, that's like Garth Brooks and John Travolta after they make it getting into social media and they just look dorky you know oh right 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 <laughs> bloomberg is a dork on social media he's but but the idea is that the money doesn't automatically buy you votes so no. i'll be fascinated to see what happens in super tuesday because that's the ball game that really so, is there's talk that he put money into the app that counted the votes and had the mishap there was also um one of his campaign chairs or something is now the ceo of that shadow inc app or something like that first um, of all the just the name like who, who yeah. what, as a political candidate why do you go hmm let's see who's going to handle our technology for this campaign oh let's get something called shadow because that's not going to look bad later at all yeah shady as shit got Sh- taken <laughs> oh man but now to be fair shadow is i mean they are that's that's what they are they're a, they're a political app data service so multiple campaigns used them they either use them for email they use but them only for... biden and jill um Gillibrand was uh Gillibrand used and, them. and then pete, pete used them yes gave them quite a bit of money i mean they you know they they employed their services they absolutely did now the fact that you know and, and by the way what we haven't mentioned yet and it's a it's telling that we haven't mentioned it yet the main takeaways from Iowa and New Hampshire should not be who's doing well, should not be who's in it and who's leading, because that's who's surprisingly it's, doing poorly. It's it's the fact that Biden is crashing and freaking burning. I mean, burning. I was watching him last night do a, a piece in Nevada and he just yells. 
He yeah. just yells. He's your grandpa outside on the lawn. He's out yelling Bernie now. Yelling at, at kids, like k- grabbing their ball that came into his yards going, this is mine now. He's all, he's yelling, he's just, I did this, and I set that up, and I made this fund happen, and Barack put me in charge of this, and I, he's just yelling mm-hmm. his resume. That's right. all he's doing now. And and watching some guy who was the clear front runner, who was the prohibitive favorite, when the people actually get to speak. See, this is why you got to be careful with polling. When the people actually get to speak in elections, for him to be getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop everywhere you look is is frightening. <laughs> I I watched um fuzzy end an interview with him uh the other day and and I've watched a couple with him now where this happens. If the interview goes long enough and he gets a little tired mm-hmm. and he starts speaking a little more loosely, I've heard him say this twice now. He has said, and I think it's very telling, you know, Bo is the one who was supposed to be running for president. Ah, uh, yeah. His, he, his son, you know, who was, the, who was the military hero, who died of brain cancer, who had this great political career. I think we are dealing with a guy who really thought he had hung up his spurs and was passing it on mm-hmm. to the next generation, to his son, and in many ways feels like he is now running a proxy campaign. Because when I look at him so often, I feel like I'm looking at someone who's a little unprepared, whose heart isn't really in it. And and suddenly I heard him say that the other day in that interview. I think it was on The View. And I just went, oh, that's it. That's it. Bo was supposed to be running. That was the plan. He's run, he's in his heart. He's doing what Bo was supposed to be doing. And so he's just not quite there. And and no, I think if he doesn't run away with it in South Carolina, if he doesn't just beat everybody else by a landslide, as suppose as his staffers say he's going to do, he's probably going to drop. Yeah. And, and you know the pressure is on him from the DNC right now to drop because they want it to be Pete or Amy, and they need it to be that fast, or Bernie's going to start beating them and get the nomination. Yeah, I noticed he was talking to somebody, and they asked him for a selfie, and then he just got irritated with them and was like hey just go vote for somebody else just snapped and it didn't know that the microphone was still on and i'm just like wow you're really tired of this stuff he's tired of it i don't think he thinks it was supposed to be him yeah, no yeah, and yeah. then so he got in iowa he got 15 percent of the vote yeah he barely but a week later he only got eight percent mm-hmm. of the vote in new hampshire um and then Warren fell too. From and by the way, in New Hampshire, and he's the a son of Delaware. I mean, he's in the neighborhood. It's not like Bernie, who's the next state over, or Elizabeth Warren, who's the next state down. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they're right next door. But still, he's a son of New England, and to to not even come in there. I mean, yeah, if, if his his candidacy, I got it, it's in free fall. And what happened to Elizabeth Warren too? You know, she was out there f- for a long time, and first week she got eighteen percent, second week she got nine. I felt like. In my mind, the turning point was when she called out Bernie at the end of the debate and said, I think you called me a liar on national TV. I think that happened. I also think that her ungraceful pivot on Medicare for all, she kind of moved from Bernie's plan to Pete's plan. If you Mm -hmm. listen to what she's espousing now, it's very much Pete's plan. Uh, I I think that hurt her a lot because then the faithful – the, the heavy-duty progressives were going, okay, wait a minute, we thought you were one of us. But then the moderate wing of the party is going, hey, you're a little late to the party. We thought you were you were basically, you know, Bernie Light. I, I think there's a lot of people who don't know where to put her now. The other thing, too, is you got to remember, if you're going to fight with Bernie for the progressive lane, he has such a huge advantage because of how he fundraises, right? Bernie does something that nobody's ever done. Bernie... You know, no packs, right? Well, so you've got Pete, who let's 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 look at Pete as a counterexample. You've got Pete, who, and I've been at parties and I've watched this happen. You know, the, the the staffers come around. They say, "Would you like to make a donation?" Okay, there's a max donation as an individual you can give. So you give twenty eight hundred dollars. Okay, so once you give twenty eight hundred dollars, you're tapped out. You can't give to Pete anymore. You you can't give. So so Pete's gone to all those people and taken those those mega donations, and now he can't go back to them. Bernie's got this fundraising online thing going where he's just got a jillion people giving him $16, 17 $18 a month. 
And Andrew Yang was trying to do this a little bit, but he was he, he couldn't get it as successfully as Bernie. So you click on that monthly donation button. And so Bernie's campaign war chest refreshes every month. Mm-hmm. He keeps he keeps he just keeps getting raising more money because he can just keep getting these sixteen twenty dollar donations over and over and over again from all the same people. And so the, the, the advantage of that versus the, the standard way of fundraising is just huge because you never run dry. And, and so, yeah, you, you look at, at Elizabeth Warren, and I think, I think for a lot of people, she's kind of neither fish nor fowl now. Whereas whatever you want to say about Bernie, Bernie has always been true to what Bernie says and what Bernie – I mean, he's there in the dictionary besides consistent. Now, he's going to have, as we've always talked about, the problem of can he grow his base and can he put a different definition for socialism in the moderate electorate's head? And I don't People know if he can. People are so scared of socialism, but nobody's scared of what's happening now. Well, and nobody's <laughs> and nobody's scared of the police or the fire department or uh, uh, the sewer or all the things where you pay the government and you get government services. I mean, yeah, it's there's a, such it's, a bad stigma. It's the it's the it's there? the old thing of keep your government hands off my Medicare. Where the where do you think Medicare comes from? So, what Bernie's got to do the the best way I've heard it put is what the Republicans are going to try to do, especially if Bernie is the nominee, is they're going to try to make a picture in your head when when you hear the word socialism, you think Latin America. You think Venezuela, you think Cuba, you think places where it's crashed and burned is basically as a gateway to autocracy. And what Bernie's got to do is he's got to put the picture in your head. When you hear socialism, I want you to think Finland, Denmark, the Scandinavian countries, these countries that are very heavily socialized and their life expectancy is great and their education systems are great. You know, it's what do you what does socialism look like in your head when you hear him say that word? And the degree to which one of those two sides is going to be more successful if he is the nominee, which the DNC is going to do everything to keep from happening, um, it's is going to be the degree to which he's successful. Mr. Perez, please step down. Mr. Perez, please step down. Well, and you remember who was going to be Mr. Perez? I texted you this. You remember who ran for DNC chair and no. he lost? Who? Pete. That was Pete's big election loses. He wanted to be the DNC chair and he lost. If, if the world had gone differently, we would maybe be talking about DNC chair Pete Buttigieg right now. And this election would look very different. That goes back to my conspiracy on president Pete that, uh, he's manipulating the election outcomes. I, but how can you, I mean, I don't know. I'm just stirring the pot, Joel. (laughs) It's, I I mean, if Pete, if Pete were in it, I think if Pete were, manipulating the outcomes it would look very different because pete's going to have i as He's much as I, as much as i like pete and amy i think they're going to have a very hard next couple of weeks i don't think they're going to do well in nevada i don't think they're going to do well in south carolina they're they're a little late to the party there they're trying to build the machine too late they put everything into iowa and new hampshire um they're they're going to have a, a rough time of it and they're both polling very low among minority racial voters yeah but Overall, they're polling quite high compared to the other candidates. Not compared to Bernie. I mean, Bernie's no, I, still. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think the top three are Amy, Pete, and Bernie. Yeah, it's Bernie's to lose right now. And then Elizabeth and Joel. Joe. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Joel no, is it's, not running. It's, He's talking no, no, about no. it. It's Bernie's to lose. And 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 the the interesting thing will be if Pete can hold on through, let's say. Nevada, South Carolina, and get to some of the places where he's going to do really well, like California. Um, and then, of course, you've always got the Bloomberg iceberg out there. How will that? Oh, I would yeah. love it if Bloomberg could enter on Super Tuesday and come away with just sort of a meh. You know, all the different polls, all the different states, they kind of look at him and they go, yeah, soft pass. Yeah. yeah. And he just sort of so, fades you know, away. When I was looking, thinking, you know, out of the top five who... Who, who's leading, his name didn't even come up in my head until you just said it right there. Yeah. I was like, in my mind, Bloomberg's out. He's somebody you're going to have and to deal with. This is what drives me nuts, too, is a small state like Iowa that has like 3% come out to the caucus is kind of setting the stage for the next 49 states. Mm-hmm. And um, and they screwed it up. Yeah, and we're in Washingtonians here. We don't get to play with the ball until March, right? Until way late. Yeah. And uh, that's where the stigma comes, where our vote just doesn't count. You know, a lot of people say that to me. And um, 
it's hard to defend people and say, hey, you need to go out to, and vote because the system doesn't seem like a fair system. I mean, w- when we talk about uh, Champions League soccer, mm-hmm. all the teams play at the same time. So there's no betting or scandal. All the games are kicking off at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. at the same time. So we don't know what the other team's doing. It would ni- be nice to have uh, a fair playing field, parity across the board, and all 50 states, the primaries the same day. Um, and then we can say, hey, our vote does count. Well, and if you're the if you're the Democrat, if you're for the Democratic Party in general, or if you're just not a Trump fan specifically, the numbers that should alarm you so far in Iowa, New Hampshire are not who's winning. It's how few people are coming out to vote. They what what they were counting on was that Trump is going to galvanize people and all these people are going to come out of the numbers. Just the total voting numbers of how many people were out in Iowa and New Hampshire are down. Yeah, way down. And and if that's now there's two ways to read that. Either these people are waiting to see who the nominee is going to be and then they're going to come out hard in November once they galvanize behind somebody or they've just decided the system is so broken and I am so not represented. What's the point? And if right. that's the case, then Trump's already won. Yeah, I know the voters pamphlet came out last week and my mom looked through it. And this has been her biggest complaint is there's just too many to educate herself about. Right. There's too too many candidates. And she's like, half of these people I don't even know. And then I was looking at it. I was like, well, five of these candidates have dropped out. They're, right. And they're still, on, they're the still on the ballot. Because you have to get on so early. Yeah. So that's kind of confusing yeah. as well. Um, yeah. But with that, with that said, it's it's tough sometimes, especially if you don't know who the vice president is. Like if 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 there was a duet, you know, like if I knew oh, if that you had to pick your your VP earlier. Yeah, and like okay, um, Cory Booker's just recently dropped out. Now somebody can pick him up as mm-hmm. as the VP candidate to run alongside him, and then you can commingle the ideas a bit and have. You know, additional support and a stronger message, perhaps. But it's like Trump. You know, he gets the election, and then all of a sudden, who's this Pence guy? Never heard of him. Right. Never. And now, what I've seen in three years, I'm not really impressed with him. Right there. I mean, there's. I mean, yeah. There's there's all levels of of different VP. I mean, John Adams famously called it the most useless office ever invented by God or man. There are vice presidents who have basically become vice president and, for all intents and purposes, disappeared. You don't really get to do anything. You don't get to. And then there have been vice presidents like Dick Cheney, who most people would tell you was probably running a lot of those meetings. Right. And George Bush was rubber stamping things. So there's all different levels of VP. Um, yeah. Generally, it is seen as a victory lap to pick a v- to in terms of getting the nomination to get a VP to pick a VP. Um, so you wait till you know, it's going to be you. So let's say Bernie, let, let's just, let's just postulate out. Let's say for a second that Bloomberg comes out, farts to a quick finish, nothing that it becomes very clear after super Tuesday that it's going to be Bernie. Now Bernie can realistically, it will not be seen as uh, what as, as cocky or arrogant to start talking about who his VP choice would be. Mm-hmm. Now, people are already trying to get him to talk about it. He's already had some questions about it, and he's been very judicious about it. I'm going to wait till. And then the question you have is, do you try to get a VP who gives you more of the same of mm-hmm. you, who is just you more? Or do you try to get a VP that is very different from you yeah, that I'd might draw that. in some of those other voters that aren't going to vote for you? For instance, with Bernie, you need to get somebody who's going to draw you in older voters. Because his support drops off a cliff when you turn 40. Mm-hmm. And and so you need somebody like a Pete or like an Amy Klobuchar who does very well with seniors. Uh, somebody who is going to draw those in. Kind of blows me away when they're like, oh, that candidate's too old. And all four of those candidates are about the same age, whether it be Trump, uh, Warren, Biden, or Bernie. Sure, or Bloomberg. You can or throw Bloomberg, Bloomberg in yeah. that too. Yeah, he's he's that. I don't want an old person in there. He's that. Well, I, but I'll I, vote for him or her. I mean, same it, age. It just depends. I mean, but there's so many. I mean, if if Joe Biden is proving anything to us right now, it's that age is just a number. I mean, look at look at how old Biden seems 
when mm-hmm. when he's in debates and when he's on speeches and look at he can't finish a complete sentence he takes these left turns all the time he starts talking yeah you know barack and i we sat down in the office and and we he said you know joe i want you to handle this tomato th- look whatever uh i know farmers are having a tough time right now the family farm's basically gone and we could talk all about Look, I don't know, but maybe you shouldn't have a gun. I mean, whenever he says, like, look, he's totally changing topics. So look at how he seems at his age versus how vigorous either Bernie or Elizabeth seems at their age. I mean, it's, it's just it's a number. Just because you're you're old doesn't mean that you're you're not vigorous and intellectually on it and ready to rock and roll. Um, you know, and you can always make the same argument in reverse. You can say that Pete's too young. You can say that Pete doesn't have the experience uh, because he's not old enough. Mm-hmm. So there there's people who make that argument too. That's another great reason why somebody like uh, Tulsi or Pete would be a good VP in my mind, especially if we have all these unnecessary wars and that military is our number one I- employer here, and we. We talk about gun control and such, and we're the ones supplying the world with weapons all the time. So if you had somebody that actually has gone to war, like one of those two people, and that are willing to speak to foreign dictators mm-hmm. and, and has a strong foreign affairs um, background, that that's kind of a, a cue for me to say, hey, that, that makes the party even stronger, right? So I would love to, whoever the vice president is, have a a special skill set that per se that the president doesn't have that they can lean on and, and it makes them even stronger. Well, you know who my choice has been, who I think whoever you ought to, whoever it ends up being, I would say the the primary choice, a great choice for VP would be our current governor. I'd say yeah. you take Jay Inslee yeah. and, and you say, you say during your inauguration speech, like while you're on the steps there and you're you're giving the speech, you're going to indicate and and thank you so much to my vice president Jay Jay Inslee. We're going to have a great eight years. Jay, you've got one job. I'm going to take everything else off your plate. You're not going to have to worry about the military. You're not going to have to worry about anything else. I need you to turn this country green. Yeah. I need you to to get us off the fossils. I need you to get us on renewables. That is your one job. You are the vice president of turning this country green. And he is uniquely qualified to be able to do that. And that's when vice presidents have been the most effective, sort of like first ladies, when you give them like their, okay, this is their first gentleman or first gentleman. Now, this is their job. Like you, you have this project that, that is, that is going to, you are going to be all about, I want you to wake up every morning, go to sleep every night thinking about how to do And he already does. And he already does. And he is, he has the cred to do it. He has the ethos to do it. And, and yeah, I, I think he'd be a great choice and give him that job. And that's it. Very well said, Joel. Um, the only problem is that means Tim Iman's our governor. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not what that means. There are multiple people. We have a that's the problem with Washington. If you like free and fair elections, we have a very deep Democratic bench and we have a paper thin Republican bench. You cannot find Republicans who want to run for governor in this state because they never win. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't just keep trotting Dino Rossi out there. I don't really care for him either. Yeah, I've I've met him a couple times. He's, he's He's a good guy. He's, I've, I've, I've had some, his city slicker to me. I've actually had some really good conversations with him. His, his, uh, his son was a debater and he used to volunteer oh. all the time at debate tournaments where I was running or where I was, I was, uh, uh, running the tournament or whatever. And I've had many chances to sit in a, this or that high school library and talk with nicest guy you want to meet. Really, awesome. really good fella. So, but you know, in, in this state, if you've got that little R beside your name, good luck. And so the, the, self-defeating prophecy of that is you can't get people to run. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're trying to be the 51st state and so we can have an R on half the state across the mountains. Oh, there's some interesting statehood questions coming up. Yeah. D.C., you know, what are we going to do with Puerto Rico? There could, you could, you could have to get your, your, uh, your sewing needle out for the stars for the flag pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, by the way, is all to the good. There's, there's no excuse for having people governed by a legal system that their vote does not then count in. Right. That's, that's, and they don't have a representative in that Congress. I mean, revolutions throughout history have been fought over that crap. You, you can't give people uh, a, a rule set to follow and then say they have no choice in making that rule set. That's, that's just wrong. Or when a hurricane or an earthquake comes and 
you know, crashes your whole society, you're not as much citizens as, as everybody else, right. even though you have to live under our rules. That's, that's so wrong. We'll take care of you until you need us. Until you need us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Joel Underwood, thanks for bringing us up to speed in 2020. Um, oh, man. The next few weeks are going to be a lot of, oh, it's going to be wild. It's going to be so wild. The next time you and I sit here talking, we could very much, we could easily know who the person is. What do you think? We, we could know it's, you know, Bernie could have run away with it or a bunch of, of people could have dropped out and left Pete just sitting there. Uh we could very well know the next time you and I sit at these microphones. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that Amy Klobuchar might have a, a, one more bump before things are said and done, but we'll see. We'll see. All right, Joel Underwood, thank you for coming on to the Bystander Podcast. Always fun. I look forward to seeing you again. You've been listening to Politics with Joel and Tim on the Bystander Podcast. Be kind. <laughs>